Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study. My name is Amy G., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Wednesday, July 17, 2019, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are in the chapter, More About Alcoholism, on page 41, starting with the first paragraph, that one only, that starts with, I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service, Ginger C., Janice B., Leon B., Tenzin P., and Pam M. The reference numbers for yesterday's Wednesday, July, I'm sorry, Tuesday, July 16th, 7 a.m. meeting, 13,157. That's 13157. And for Tuesday's 10 a.m. Eastern meeting, 13,159. That's 13159. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Tenzin P. to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Tenzin. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, uh, Tenzin P., checking in from New York City. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. Number one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Wishing everyone a blessed day. Thank you, Tenzin P. I will now ask for Pam M. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Pam. Blessed morning, everyone. This is Pam M. from upstate New York. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Nine, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pam M. Okay, it looks like there's a correction on the ID number for yesterday's Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern um, number. It is 13,165. That's 13165. That is the correction. Wanted to toss that in there. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say, Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only, please. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. 
This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone should everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And if you can avoid uh, talking on a speaker, that would be great. Today we resume our study in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism, and we are on page 41, reading the first paragraph and that paragraph only. And I'm going to ask for Ginger C. to get us started. Go ahead, Ginger. Great. Thanks so much, Amy. Good morning, and thank you for your service. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. So I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to my mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. So I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed. So I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty the next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxi cab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. Um, and this story is highlighting so much, this paragraph, just like so much in this book does. Um, you know, I always thought that I had to be feeling pretty bad to eat. And Fred clearly had a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon, yet he still eats. So good day, bad day, it doesn't matter. It's my fit spiritual condition. It's this power that I lack as a food addict and whether or not that power is between me and the bite, because it's always centering in my mind. Another page told us that. And so what I'm thinking is pretty much where I'm heading. And he has this thought, thinks nothing of it, and then we can see exactly what happens. He picks up, and once he starts, cannot stop. That's part A of our twofold nature. You know, if a little's good, more is always better. But I love Fred um, just showing us that you can have a good day and eat. Because as I said, I always relapsed because I was having a bad day. Absolutely. Life sucked. I hated it. I didn't want to be in my skin another second. I thought it was, I thought food was the lesser of the two evils between alcohol and drugs and food. I always gave food permission because at least it wasn't, again, drugs or alcohol until it got bad enough, until it showed me exactly what it's about and where it can take me. Um, so, you know, I love, too, at the end, that last sentence. Then came the hospital and the unbearable mental and physical suffering. You know, the progression, too. It only gets worse, never better. And I'm grateful for every bite, as I share, that I had to take because one less bite, I may not be here today with this message of hope for the person that's still eating and dying in the food because it's a slow suicide. You're dying in the food if you're eating. But there is a message that you can stop. 
and you can end this nightmare. And it takes getting convinced because really where all this began with Fred is that Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic. I really didn't want to see myself as a compulsive overeater, much less accept the spiritual med- uh, remedy for his problem. So until I concede, until I'm surrendered completely, out of ideas, given up, beaten, and it takes what it takes. But I'm glad I finally got there because today, food is not a solution to my problems. And that's a miracle. That's why I say I'm recovered because this mind of mine sees that. But again, it's this daily program. That's all I have to do. Wash, rinse, repeat. Here we go. Here's a new day. It's 510 Mountain Time in Colorado. God, who would you have me be today? What would you have me do? How can I be of service? Because that's my job to think of your needs and to help meet those needs. Less of me, more of you. And then just see what happens, see what lies around the corner. And that's, I think, the hardest thing because we're all control freaks. I know I am for sure. And to sit shotgun and let God drive, it's like, really, where are we going today? I don't know if I like this picture. I don't know if I like this turn. So thank God there's a spiritual remedy for his problem and for all of our problems. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger C. We're getting us started. Okay, so we're now going to take uh, names of those who would like to share. And if you haven't shared in a couple of days, we would certainly love to hear from you first. Katie G. from Boston. Barbara K. Katie Barbara. G. Barbara. There was someone before Judy I missed. Janet M.M. Janet, was it Janet or? Janice P.M. Janice P.M. Janice P.M. Okay, this is who I have right now. I have Judy K., Katie G., Barbara E., Janice P.M., Nessa R. I can take... One or two. Leon B. Pam M. And Pam M. All right. Judy K., you're up. Next, followed by Katie G. Go ahead, Judy. Good morning. This is Judy K., recovering in North Carolina. Thank you, everyone, for your service. Uh, Wow. Wow. As the paragraph was being read, I could remember the absolute high of feeling freedom in eating whatever I wanted when nobody was around, when it was just me in a hotel or any place where it was just me and the thought came to my mind, order this or order this, that, and um, eating it and then going on to the next and the next and the absolute high of feeling freedom oh my God, was I in denial and lying to myself. Step one is, um, the spiritual principle for step one is actually honesty. And as as soon as I could get honest with myself, I could understand the absolute hell and pain of the withdrawal from my substances. And for today, I thank God I thank my higher power. I thank God and everyone contributing to um, uh, to my recovery. 
because I know that that first bite, that first compulsive bite will throw me right back, right back into the food again. Um, so with that, I'm going to pass and say thank you, everyone. Thank you, Judy K. Katie G., it is your turn, followed by Barbara E. Go ahead, Katie. Saw one, Katie. Katie G., are you I there? apologize, Amy. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I was double muted. <laughs> so, okay. Good morning, everyone. Katie G., I'm going to start again. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple things. I mean, it says, you know, then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. And I, I shared this a few days ago because this is something I learned um, through the setting of the big book with all you guys that I never thought that I could eat on the truth, right? And and I use this as justification, like, well, you know, I'm lying to myself here. You know, that's true. Like, I'm li- I was lying to myself. It would be nice to have a couple bites, right? That was all, nothing more, nothing more dramatic. But the truth is, like, even when I did think about the unbearable mental and physical suffering, I didn't care. Because being a compulsive overeater for me of the hopeless variety means I have a hole in the soul that started when I was a little girl. And I desperately needed, needed something to fill me up in order to function. You know, and I love that this illustrates like that, that the, the disease is not rational. It speaks to me in my own language. Um, and, you know, I can't, I can't fight my disease. I'm going to lose each and every time. And how many shadowy recollections did I have? How many times did I wake up in the morning being like, what did I do last night? Where did I go? I mean, um, and then, you know, in a state of abstinence, my feelings would escort me around for several days. You know, this as the driver escorted me around for several days. I know little of where I went. How many emotional benders did I have when I was when I was just dieting and, and the fear would drive me around and drive me to treat people in ways that were not acceptable because all I knew in the disease was to binge on you or throw you up, right? Like that's all I knew how to do. And um and to not know where I went and to not know what I said and to not know what I did in a state of abstinence. And that is what is so scary for me about this disease is like, it's not just, okay, I put down the food and then there are no more consequences um, because there are not there are less consequences, right? So when I put down the food, um, my bones started to regrow, literally. When I put down the food, my hair started to regrow. My, my, uh, my face wasn't, um, wasn't, didn't have that fuzzy, it comes when you're underweight. But my life will always and forever be unmanageable. I need a power greater than me to restore me to sanity. So not only does the food and the squiggly writing, that sick thinking, dominate me, uh, not dominate me me any longer, but the the feelings, the emotions, um, that is what this 12-step recovery program has given me today. A method, I'll just wrap up with this, a method for living my life, for putting down the food entirely, and as our previous speaker saying, 
I live life and it's brutal and ugly and wonderful. And I do not turn to the food. I don't need it. I don't need it. What a miracle. I can't wait to continue with all of you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. Barbara E., it's your turn, followed by Janice P.M. Go ahead, Barbara. Good morning, everyone. Oh, this has been such a wonderful week. Thank you all for participating in my recovery. I heard that, and I love it. Well, on page 43, it talks about the strange mental blank spot. Suddenly, a thought would come to my mind. An order of fries would be lovely. I'd had a wonderful day with my students. Never mind that fries were a bright red neon light food for me. And then perhaps a small scoop of ice cream to finish the meal. The sun was shining. What was I thinking? I was not. I had put up no effective defense against that first impulsive and then compulsive bite. I hadn't even thought about the consequences that I would have. I would forget that I can't stay stopped when I start, and I have little control over the amounts I take. I was so often taken back to the food without even thinking, no fight whatever. Even when I kept, even when full, I kept eating. Past comfort, past enjoyment, I continued to eat. But in this program, I was told I had to find some kind of power outside myself in order to recover or I was doomed to a hopeless, bitter end, and I believed it. I realized I was at a fork in the road. Both roads were full of pain and suffering. One meant facing my negative characteristics and my part in the chaos around me, and that I would need a higher power to believe in and trust and to guide me through the rough spots that were sure to come. That road you offered sounded scary and a lot of hard work, but the other road took me down a path of mental anguish, tortured relationships, shame, guilt, and isolation, and a very real possibility of a food-related death. What choice did I have? The flimsy read mentioned on page 28, for me, became an intertwined rope of steel pulling me to safety by my new employer. But I wake up every morning an addict, and with prayer, service, and humility, I stay connected with my higher power, and then I get to go to bed at night a grateful, recovered person, free for one more day. And what does my recovery look like? It means the problem has been removed. I don't have to make a choice whether I eat something unhealthy for me or not because by the grace of this God I now believe in, I don't even think of eating. I automatically turn to God instead of food when I'm upset. Food, excessive food, red light food is no longer an option. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, serene day. Thank you, Barbara E., Janice P.M., followed by Nessa R. Go ahead, Janice. Well, thank you, Amy G., and everyone for this opportunity. My name is Janice P.M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Oh, my goodness, this is the whole, <laughs> this is the whole truth about my allergy, about my, my disease and uh, Fred's. Just like Fred, 
this happens so many times. Now I'm going to ask a question to myself, which I always ask. Is my problem really just the allergy or is it the thought before I pick up? Well, I think this illustrates it right here. The insane idea. Because, you know, everything's going good like it was in my life. You know, whether I was happy, sad, even if I was sad. It doesn't matter. It's my mind that needs fixing. And, you know, I cannot fix my own mind. And this is what it illustrates to me here. It's the insane thought. The insane idea. Well, as I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind. Wouldn't it be nice to have a couple of donuts and then dinner? That was all. Nothing more. Like, yeah, that was my thinking. So what did I do? I thought, that's what the sick mind told me. I thought, wouldn't it be nice? And then I make a decision. I made a decision just then and there, and then I picked up the action. So the thought comes, then my decision comes, and then the action comes, and that sets up the allergy in my body, and I have no defense. (laughs) I'm off to the races. You see, this is what happens. This is what happens all the time with my insane mind unless I have the steps and the power to be my companion, to help me, to realize. Uh, when I take something that, oh, yeah, I think I'll take a couple of donuts and, you know, and then, and then I'll end up in the hospital, that's okay. I don't think like that. I don't think of the consequences. I just think that, you know, that, that's a good idea. Well, today I know it's not a good idea. I know it's a sick, insane idea (laughs) because that's what always got me going. But, you know, as a result of the steps, see, he hasn't had the steps yet. See, he's still on his own self-knowledge like I was. Um, And, you know, the allergies activated with those donuts in my case, and I'm off to the races. And I, you know, and I don't say, well, you know, then I'm going to divorce my husband or, you know, I'm going to end up in the insane asylum. No, I don't think like that. I just think that, you know, I know. And uh, that's what I see about this, this unbearable mental and physical suffering, um, the rages that I went in when I, when I was eating compulsively. And uh, with that, I thank you, and I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Janice. Nessa R., followed by Neon B. Nessa, go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, so two things jump at me. Number one, um, so many times I thought I need to eat because my life is chaotic, because my life is stressful. And here comes this guy, no chaos, no stress, everything is going well, and he's still drinking, which tells me, it tells me it's not the circumstances the reason why I eat. Um, the same way I've, I've used in the circumstances, the reason why Fred drinks, it's because I'm an addict, I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, it's just that my thoughts um, want to convince me, to justify, to rationalize why I should be eating. And so, you know, the other thing that jumps out of me connected to that is the thought came, as, as so many people have shared already. And there's... Um, there's a few uh, places in the uh, big book. There's three places. 
um, where this concept is talked about. One is, of course, here. Um, the other one is in uh, Bill's story where it says, um, sorry, I just lost it. Uh, oh, here it is. Um, while I lay in the hospital, the thought came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what I have been, what have been so freely given me. And there's another one in uh, We Agnostics um, that says, then like a thunderbolt, a great thought came, who are you to say there is no God? Um, so, and those are the only instances in the, in the first 164 pages where, where these combinations of words is, is used. And so, like, you see the difference in, in those thoughts that come, and the truth is that thoughts are always going to come. The question is, what kind of thoughts are they going to be? Are they going to be thoughts like Fred? You know, like the thought came, it would be great to, to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. Is it going to be like Bill, who's thought comes and it's about helping others, or in the story in the agnostics, uh, a thought comes and it's about God, and the answer is that the kind of thoughts that come is entirely up to me, they are my thoughts, they are within my control, you know, true enough, you know, like a, a thought might flash into my mind, and maybe I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, responsible for my first thought, but I am responsible for the second thought, you know, just because a thought comes, like, oh, it'd be nice to have a couple of donuts, doesn't mean I have to carry it through to the uh all the way to the end i can stop my thoughts you know i can stop my thought and redirect my thoughts um and i can even do uh things to prevent even those thoughts from coming and what can i do immerse myself in programs you know uh put the food down work the 12 steps you know recover and once i'm recovered i need to continue to stay immersed in the pro in the program of recovery in the message of recovery nice. by by attending thank you by attending meetings and more importantly by carrying the message to others and this is the great thought that bill had there in that hospital bed and it is our choice and with that i pass thank you thank you nessa leon followed by pam m go ahead leon good morning this is leon b grateful recovery compulsive overeater from Simpsonville, South Carolina, and I so resonate with crossing the threshold. Every time I read that in Fred's story, I just, I think about that feeling. I mean, I so get it. He walking, I just picture him walking into that room and just getting that feeling because I've had that feeling. I remember leaving work, all of my work would be complete. I felt great. I had time on my hands to look forward to. I would do this little move. You had you got to visualize this. I would walk out of my place of work, and I would do this Michael Jackson move where I would stretch my arms out and move my head left to right, and and I would kind of do a little hole inside because I knew that I'm about to get down with some eating. I knew the kids, they were still in school. Wife was going to be home for a while. I had about three to four hours to kill. I knew exactly what I was headed for. My half a pint of moose track, moose track ice cream, my Oreos, my jalapeno chips. And I knew I had a third floor to myself, my 55 inch TV screen and all of my shows to catch up for, for about three hours. And I was going to binge out. And I remember that was my thought, that phenomenon of crossing the threshold. And I tell you, since I've been in this program, somewhere around working the steps four, five, and six, I remember that exact same feeling 
leaving the hospital. All of my work was done. It was the weekend, and that feeling of wanting to eat was not there. My attention was completely turned Mm -hmm. towards my family, of being Mm -hmm. of service to my family. And I had no idea. It was really God doing for me what I could not do for myself. That feeling had been switched, and I had no idea how that happened. I just remember how much I I rejoiced on the inside that Mm -hmm. I didn't have to turn to food anymore, that Mm -hmm. One day at a time, if I picked up these steps, if I if I decreased so that he could increase in my life every day, that great feeling, we can still have that great feeling of, for me, of crossing that threshold, you know, but man, wouldn't it be nice to go pick up my children a little earlier from school? Wouldn't it be nice to go grocery shopping while my wife is still at work so I can have the groceries there? Or wouldn't it be nice if I can get home really quick and take care of the lawn so I wouldn't have to do it when the kids get home and I can spend time with them. It works both ways. But I love this part of Fred's story. I love crossing that threshold and what he was thinking. And I pass for that. Y'all have a great day. Thank you so much, Leon. Pam M., you're up. Mm. Uh, blessed morning, everyone. Pam M. in upstate New York. Um, yeah, so that threshold for me is the, is the sudden emotional change, um, that I just, I cannot handle. And when I used to have that, when I typically in the past, when I had that sudden emotional change, um, I used to find the the taxi cab, yeah, AKA food, just like so many of my fellows are saying, instead of my wife, which is programmed now, you guys might not have known that we're married. <laughs> but, um, you know, 10 days ago, um, I was forgiven for, for um, I, I made my amends and I was forgiven and um, I didn't think I would ever be forgiven. And I was on cloud nine. And I don't know how to be on cloud nine without cake or wine or some kind of, you know, sugary substance. So, um, but because of the program, I, I called a friend to celebrate and, um, you know, I can, I can turn to my AKA wife now. Um, so, you know, and yesterday I had a terrible experience, someone raging at me and, um, I didn't retaliate because of the program. Um, and, um, you know, I wanted food, but as soon as I saw the thought, um, I was, I immediately began to pray and turn towards my higher power. And, and that's the difference now after working these steps and living in 10, 11, and 12 is I have just enough time to real, see the thought and say, no, that's not the thought that I want. Okay, God, I'm having thoughts, so what do I need to do? Um, so, you know, I picked up the phone. I did I did six 10-step inventories last night on my OA app. Um, and I reached out until I found someone, and thank God I did. I prayed the whole time, you know, that I would be able to find someone late at night. And, and um, you know, my higher power provided that for me. 
And and normally when, when the emotions are, are high and experiencing emotional turmoil, um, I wouldn't sleep. I, I instead, I would, I would finish my brain dead. I would eat at the person that I was angry with. Um, and then I'd wake up with a food hangover the next day and, and, and not be in the condition to be able to handle um, any kind of situation in a healthy way because I was now my brain was fogged with food. Um, you know, so last night was, I, I prayed myself to sleep. Um, I prayed, thank you. And, um, you know, I'm knowing that I'm going to be okay because of the formula that's been laid out in, in this program of recovery. And what I've, what I'm learning is being recovered doesn't mean everybody changes or we have no challenges. It means that we know that we need to lean into our higher power. And today I'm going to be living in 10, 11, and 12. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day and the recovered one that I passed. Thank you, Pam. Okay, so we are, just a friendly reminder, we're on page 41, reading that first paragraph only. Who else would like to share on what was read? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that name. Lauren N. Oh, Lauren. Okay, yep. Fran M. Fran M. Rachel K. Rachel K. Crystal P. Crystal P. Anybody else? All righty. We're going to go with Lauren N., Fran M., Rachel K., Crystal P. All right, Lauren, you're up. Please go ahead. Good Good morning. It's Lauren N. from New York, compulsive overeater, sugar addict, and food addict. I guess I'm going there. Um, wow. I can totally remember what, like all the pre- previous shares, sharers have spoken about, I can totally remember, um, you know, doing crazy things like spending three weeks locked up at Duke Diet and Fitness Center. But the day I arrived, the day I arrived, I went with a bunch of other people who were there for the three weeks to have Krispy Kreme donuts. Because I come from the New York, New York area and there were no Krispy Kreme donut places there. But I spent thousands of dollars to be there for 10 for two weeks three weeks putting my son in a daycare going renting an apartment so that i could learn how to eat properly but the day i arrived going and having three krispy kreme donuts before i started and weighing in what am i nuts absolutely totally nuts that little thing Someone said when I walked in to meet all these people that I was meeting there for the third time, hey, you want to go to Krispy Kreme Donuts? And it was in my head. And I thought, sure, why not? I'll do it. So how incredible this is to not have that even come up and light the fire 
anymore. I am no longer driven to the food anymore. How incredible that is to know that I can be of service to my fellows by staying clean and absent and not having to do it and grin and bear it like I used to when I went to Duke Dine and Fitness Center and multiple other pay-and-way programs. How incredible it is to do this one day at a time without any obsession. Thank you all for teaching me that. Thank you all for helping me get this one day at a time. Thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lauren N. Fran M. followed by Rachel K. Go ahead, Fran. Hey, thanks. Can I just ask you what I'm going to share? But I've been reading all the paragraphs. It's on page 41 or 42 with Fred. Page 41, that first paragraph right there. I went to my hotel room. I went to my hotel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I love it. You know, uh, the thought crossed my mind. It's it's amazing what goes on in our minds. Um, I'm Fran M. And I'm a compulsive eater. I used to be a compulsive overeater. And now I'm something else. Um, maybe an under-eater more. Um, and I just want to share that the thought crossed my mind um, about the mental twist, because I think we all have that exactly in common, but the kind of allergy that we have is different. Some people eat fat, but they can't eat sugar. Some people eat sugar, they can't eat fat. I know for me, I just want to share if, if there are any anorexics or under-eaters or compulsive exercisers or just people with compulsive eating behaviors. For me, nowadays, and it wasn't the case when I started, but that mental twist takes other forms. It says, how can I escape from whatever I'm feeling? It doesn't say that consciously. All I know is I think, well, maybe it would be nice not to have what I said I'd have for lunch, or maybe it would be nice to try this meal instead of that meal, or maybe I should go on a different food plan, or maybe I should go vegan, or maybe I should get rid of dairy, or any number of things. Now, for another person, maybe the idea of getting rid of dairy or having a cookie or whatever would be like a good idea or a bad idea. We're all different, I think, in what form the escape takes. But for me... um, you know, I can eat sugar. I don't care. I don't overeat sugar. Some days a cookie is abstinent and some days it's not. But what I can do, though, is say, I'm not going to stick to my plan. I just have a better idea. Or somebody's putting something in front of me and I'll jump to that. Anything to get out of reality because... um, And I never know when, like Fred, that thought is going to cross my mind. A lot of times it will happen just when I'm walking into a really fancy restaurant. And for me, it could lead to undereating, not necessarily overeating. But whatever it is, it gets me off the planned meal I was supposed to have and to something that for some reason has more glitter. So I guess for me, I'm like allergic to food that glitters or an eating behavior that glitters and it could just be a change it might even be a change from x to y and you know for someone else that might be perfectly okay or for someone else it might sound innocent but 
It's the idea of being taken out because it's so much harder to switch what we do, to change our thoughts, to think through. And I love what someone shared, I think it was Nessa, about, you know, I'm not responsible for my first thought, but I really am responsible for the second and third thoughts. So thanks for letting me share. Oh, great. Thank you, Fran. Rachel Kay followed by Crystal P. Go ahead, Rachel. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, This is Rachel Kay, compulsive overeater from Northern California. I just want to say I'm so grateful for these meetings. I've been abstinent for about 19 years, but just recently started listening to the meetings, and it's really, really been a shot in the arm and revitalized my program. And this reading um, shows me that I have to, no matter how long I've been in the program, no matter how long, by the grace of God, I've obtained some food, have to have a healthy respect for this disease. It is cunning, baffling, and powerful. <clears throat> and this is this the, what happened here uh, with Fred is exactly why um, self knowledge availed me nothing. Why I have to have a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. Why this the purpose of this book, and I'm paraphrasing badly here, is to help me find a power greater than myself that can solve my problem, why God has solved my problem. Because I can, you know, and I'm not knocking therapy, but um, I can have all the therapy in the world and no causes and conditions and yet think it's a, you know, it's a good idea to fill in the blank. You know, well, well, what could be the harm? And today I don't have that, that, that mental obsession, that thought, but I can still, where this applies to me today, is I can still, well, first of all, I can be compulsive with other things, with herbal tea. You know, I found that I was getting compulsive with herbal tea and thinking, yeah, my throat's a little scratchy. You know, it'll, it'll be fine. Uh, and then find myself getting compulsive with it or with a character defect. You know, I, you know oh, no, this time it'll be fine to, to text back you know, to my coworker, such and such, or to reply to my mom, uh, you know, such and such, rather than exercising restraint of tongue, that, oh, well, you know, what could be the harm, or, or not even having that thought. That's the thing, is that there's, there's not even a thought. There's, there's not even what could be the harm. It's just an automatic thing, cunning, baffling, and powerful. I don't have to be in a bad place. I don't have to be, you know, nothing can be going wrong in my life. Everything can be going right. And that's, you know, that's where the disease takes um, takes its chance. It doesn't announce itself, hey, I'm coming to get you. It's, it's sneaky, and but it's no match for God. Uh, that is what the gifts of the, the 12 steps have given me. But that's why I have to enlarge my spiritual life. Uh, that's what these meetings are doing for me today. After being in the program for a long time, I came to my first meeting in '85. Um, took me a long time to get abstinent, but today, these, you know, going and following the directions in the Big Book—that's probably my time, or uh, what's yeah. uh, helping me enlarge my spiritual life. Thank you, I'll pass. Thank you, Rachel. Crystal, it is your turn. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Crystal P. from Toronto. Um, I think what stood out to me was I was reading this and I was trying to think, 
where where was the turning point where um where Fred had to had to make the decision and initially when I looked at it I thought it was as he crossed the threshold of the dining room that was the turning point but when I think about my own life um I I would have said the turning point was earlier you know when he was saying that he was pleased that his business came off well and he knew his partners would also be pleased um for me when that that's sort of that moment when I'm feeling so good about myself. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I did such an excellent job. And then I'm starting to think through scenarios of like, well, obviously now my partners are going to, you know, they're going to promote me. Everyone in the office is going to think I, I did a really great job. I'm going to be the hero. I can't wait to go back to work, you know, the next the next day. I'm fully in my head, in myself, building myself up into this, into this bigger, larger than life person. And I've completely forgot that I have a fatal disease. I've completely forgot that God is my employer, that my only job is to focus on the input and leave the output up to God, that I just have to ask for the next right thing to do. And that if I don't do that, I'm putting myself in jeopardy. And when I get into that space of just inwardly focusing on myself and living in fantasies in my head, that's where I prime the soil for, for the disease to get in with a very subtle thought and I find myself at the threshold of a dining room with these thoughts coming at me that seem so benign. Um, so for me, the turning point is earlier in the day when, when these things happen. And that's where the difference happens is when, um, when I get to work the program and work the steps so that I don't even get to that uh, threshold, that, that point at the dining room where the thought comes in. Because I can, when I, when I speak to my sponsor, when I, um, when I work the steps around my feelings, I rem I'm reminded that I have a fatal disease. When, when something good happens today, what I can do instead is say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you gave this to me. Thank you, God, that I was able to put in the input, put in the work, show up because I'm not in my disease. And everything that helps, that happens from here is just gravy. It's just blessing that you've given to me. And then I can do service and be reminded that that other people exist who have problems and who have a life that's different from mine. I get taken out of my own head and I get focused on what, what's going on with other people and how I can be of service to them. So that when I'm faced at that, you know, with that threshold of a dining room, those thoughts are almost preempted because of the program. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. So I don't have to sort of so many times I get to escape these thoughts because program has already sort of dealt with it. And then the other thing I noticed is that um, he ordered one cocktail and he probably thought to himself, you know, it's a cocktail. There's, there's other things in there. It's not all hard liquor, you know, all these little, um, excuses. And what I realized is that it's so easy for my disease to get back in. It just needs a tiny crack in the door, one cocktail. And then it's like a free for all after that. So for me, it's that one bite that to me is not just one little bite. It's an act of suicide to me, even look like touching that one bite is an act of suicide to me because from there it's an open door and a free fall. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Crystal. Okay, well, we have time for about one, maybe two shares. Well, more like one. Who would like to take us out? Barbara P. Barbara P., please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everybody. Barbara P. from Atlanta, the Atlanta area, recovered compulsive overeater. And I love this story. I think we all do because we've, I've, I've been there. 
But, you know, mine looks a little different, and I can fool myself with this sometimes. It ta- this takes me back to the word delusion. It's on page 30. It was in that opening paragraph or that second paragraph, the delusion that we're like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And someone pointed out to me, I mean, delusion is different than denial. Denial is like I know the truth and I don't believe it. I think it'll be different this time. I think he was completely delusional. I know I am completely delusional at times. And it was around my wedding and I was entertaining a lot. And so I would buy healthy things, not healthy for me. And I knew that at times, but some trail mix, right? And so, and then, but it was so easy for me all of a sudden to forget everything I had done in my life with trail mix, more, more binges had started that way. Um, And I had a handful and I even eliminated anything that had sugar in it. It was just the stuff that could have technically, technically fit on my food plan. The thought didn't even come to my mind of what it had done in the past. And that's, I think where Fred was at. It was like, yeah, a couple of cocktails, just like someone else can do. And it would stop there for someone else. I forget. It doesn't stop there for me. But the tricky part and where I I differ a little, and I think many of us do, is I didn't necessarily then take a cab home from the airport. It didn't necessarily come like an avalanche. Sometimes it just came like a little waterfall. Sometimes I had that handful. And maybe I didn't have it the next day. But the day after that, I don't know, got angry at work and went to the vending machine and got the trail mix. And then one little packet, because I picked out half the stuff because I don't eat that, so now I needed four packets to make up for it. And then the next day seemed like a good idea again. And then I was low energy and needed it again. And lo and behold, then I was buying the same size and back in that and pounding on weight. And and not knowing, I was delusional. I really forgot that that handful of something that someone else can eat with impunity, I can't. It's just that simple, but it doesn't necessarily come like the avalanche. If it did, I might wise up, maybe I would have wised up sooner, but a lot of times it was very subtle and I thought I got away with it. So I always have to every day now check in with my honesty level too, because I am delusional. I do need a brain transplant and a higher power is the absolute only thing that that is keeping me honest today, I think, or keeping me in my reality. My reality is I can't have a handful of that stuff. My delusion is, sure, why not? not never harmed me before. I mean, complete crazy. Anyway, with that, I pass. Thank you, Barbara P. I have exactly one minute left. If someone would like to share for one minute, that would be great. Or we can wrap things up. Who would like to take that minute? Vicki V. from New York. All right, Vicki. Go for it. Good morning, and thank you for your service. Very quickly, I want to say that uh, today and, and for the last seven days, what I've been hearing is something that um, seems to be working. It's not about my abstinence. It's about my connectivity to my higher power, my spirituality, and this program, which brought all of that into my life. So just for today, I am working on my connectivity, and my abstinence will come from that. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for sharing. 
On that note, we're going to wrap everything up. I'd like to thank everyone who was shared and everyone who gave service. Thank you to Team Wednesday. Please join us for another second unrecorded hour of study, another awesome hour of study, immediately following our closing. The share ID for today, Wednesday, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Vision for You meeting is, well, actually, I thought I had it. I don't have it. Um, I'm sure I'll get that number in just a second as we wrap things up. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, Vision for You. Janice B., could you please take us out? Yes, thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Janice B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Vermont. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly get disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.